Welcome to Waterbrook Church, located in Victoria, Minnesota. Our new series in Luke called Glorious Disruption, being taught by our senior pastor, Kevin Dibley, is about when Jesus shows up and turns everyone's world upside down. We believe this study of God's word is about to turn many people's lives completely around. It may be even upside down because that's what happens in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus comes to people who are absolutely stunned and amazed by him, and they are profoundly and gloriously changed forever. Let's begin by praying that this happens here at Waterbrook and beyond for our joy and amazement in Jesus. Let's worship together. So I'm going to ask you to pray. Pray with me and let's go to the Lord. So uh, at this moment, Father, as our hearts have been prepared with songs of love and descriptions of grace, pictures, of a father's love. There's no one we feel safer with than you. But they're parts of our lives. To be honest, dear God, they're parts of our lives where we wrestle. And so when we come to the word, we're coming under the scalpel of our father who is the heart surgeon. And we're asking you, O oh God, to do in us what we cannot do for ourselves. But do it. So that we might love you more, so that we might be free. So that sinners might know of a great, gracious Savior. So we, with fear and trembling and faith and joy, Invite the Holy Spirit now to do his work. In Jesus' name, we say together with me, amen. amen. So we are in the pinnacle section of Luke chapter 15. We're in this famous parable, uh, often known as the parable of the prodigal son. But I need to correct that initially this morning. We love the story of the prodigal son. We love this story of radical redemption, of a young man who rebels against his family, against his father, who runs off and squanders the inheritance and finds a father who is not only willing to forgive, but effusive in his love, running to him, embracing him. We love that, don't we? Isn't that what we love about that parable? Now, I have news to tell you. You have been set up by Jesus. You have been totally framed. Because the main point of this parable is not the prodigal son. Jesus wants us to see the story of the prodigal son to encounter radical fatherly grace in order that he might deal with the fact that all of us have an elder brother in us. The main point of this parable is the elder brother. A brother who is not gracious. A brother who is not forgiving. A brother who is like us, who is often wounded, withdrawn, cold, and unforgiving. And just so you see that, I'm going to ask you to go to the beginning of Luke 15. In Luke chapter 15, we get the beginning of this parable. There's only one parable, really, in this story. It's the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and we call it the lost son. But we are being set up because it's a parable about the elder brother. So look at Luke 15, verse 1. 
Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. Got it? So you've got these grumbling scribe, Pharisees and scribes who are watching Jesus eat and receive and welcome sinners. And they are scandalized, offended that they who have been trying to guard the integrity and the honor of the Jewish people now have this rabbi who's eating and feasting and celebrating with the very people that they have found revulsive and, dis- and shameful and who have discredited the integrity of the community, these ones who have been written off. The, this welcoming you and I need to hear of Jesus is offensive because it's unequivocal. It's scandalous because it is absolutely open and unashamed. Listen to how this word is used first in Luke's gospel later on, this word to receive and to eat with sinners. Later in Luke's gospel, he'll talk about Joseph of Arimathea. He says, now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action. So let's just remember, not all the scribes and Pharisees were cut out of the same cloth. There was a, there was a different one. And listen to how he is described in the next line. He was looking for the kingdom of God. And so Joseph of Arimathea, that word looking for, was actually mean welcoming. He was eagerly anticipating the coming of the kingdom of God. So the arrival of Jesus was great news to him because he was excited of that great day when the Messiah would come and deliver his people. He was enthusiastic. That's the word to describe Jesus welcoming sinners. Not half-heartedly, praise God. Aren't you glad he doesn't half-heartedly welcome sinners? He is all in, enthusiastically embracing those who have been outcasts and sinners. Praise God that that's the way he is towards us. Listen to the Apostle Paul as he writes to the church at Philippi. The church at Philippi knew Paul was in prison, and they had sent Paul a servant to minister to him, brought food and resources to him, a, a servant by the name of Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus had come and ministered to Paul, and while he was ministering with Paul, while Paul was in prison, Epaphroditus became incredibly ill, to the point of almost dying. And so Paul became distressed, not only because of Epaphroditus, he became distressed because the people at Philippi were distressed about Epaphroditus. And so he sends Epaphroditus back to Philippi with this exhortation to the church, receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. That receive, welcome him with great enthusiasm, hold a party, rejoice that Epaphroditus is coming back to you and he's alive is the same language where Jesus eats with tax collectors and sinners. It's the same idea. This is not half-hearted. Jesus says to the religious leaders, every time one sinner repents, what happens? Heaven breaks out in a grand party, right? Over 99 who have no need of repentance in heaven, they rejoice. Now, as he's telling these parables, here's the problem. 
he get, he's going towards the story, as he's telling this parable, he's going towards the story of the elder brother because while heaven is rejoicing and while Jesus is welcoming, the Pharisees are grumbling. How dare he walk in here? Does he not know? That's who we're going after. That's who Jesus is going after in this story. So that's why we have to get to the elder brother. And you and I need to ask the question, why are there elder brothers? Why are there parables like this? Why are there so many stories in the Bible of religious people who get it wrong? I'll tell you why. Because we're religious people who get it wrong. A lot of us are younger brothers, right? We squandered it. We partied. We, we went off and did what we ought not to do. And usually we fall into one of the two camps. We're either super religious and we've done it right. And then suddenly we find out that somehow God didn't honor our religiosity. Sometimes you can be raised in kind of a fundamental religious tradition and you realize life didn't go right injustices, hypocrisies all over the place. And you can swing the pendulum the other way, right? And you go, forget it. I want nothing to do with God. I'm just going to go party. I'm going to live for myself. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look after my own needs. We, we go that swing. Or sometimes it's the other way around. You, you, you lived wild and in a, in a, in a difficult uh, or, a, or a rebellious life, and you lived your, lived your own way, and then you realize this does not work. The math does not add up. So what do you do? You swing the other way. You think, okay, I'll try harder. I'll pray harder. I'll go to church more often. I'll fix this thing. And you discover, boy, that doesn't work either. And usually, I said this last week, we're, we are like religiously schizophrenic. We go both ways, right? One day we're feeling really guilty, so I'm going to do my devotions. I'm going to show up to church. I'm going to work a little harder. We go here, and we find out everybody's hypocrites at church, so we say, forget it. I'm going to go this way, right? We swing back and forth. But here's what we need to see. In this text of Scripture, Jesus is giving us the opportunity. In the stories of the Bible where there are fallen religious people, Jesus is letting us see that there is a God that can handle the broken religious people and restore them to himself. He can handle elder brothers. Let me uh, read you a quote from Chad Bird on his description of why there are people like David falling into sin, why there are people like um, Solomon who go astray, why there are Peter who denies his uh, Savior, why is there Jacobs right from the get-go in the Bible? Scoundrel Jacobs who belong to God. Listen to what Bird writes. I'm going to read a little bit longer than you have up here, but there is much in Jacob's character, actions, and motives that I find extremely distasteful, which is exactly why I identify so closely with him. He is everything about myself that I wish I were not. Even in, in utero, he looks out for number one. He takes full advantages of the disadvantages of others. He lies. He plays favorites. He fights with God. For all these reasons and more, Jacob is the model disciple. The model disciple in is that there is no effort to clean him up and to make him look more presentable to the world so as to not embarrass God for having chosen such a, defeatful, a deceitful man to not only be his follower, but the very man after whom the Old Testament community of believers was named, Israel. Why is Jacob, given the name Israel, and the nation of Israel called Israel after Jacob? Because Israel is like Jacob. Disobedient, self-righteous, wandering. Listen to what 
Bird writes, he says, Jacob's crimes and punishments are paraded in public as is the Lord's stubborn and gracious commitment to him. Jacob's story is the story of a God who doesn't select the sainted or pick the pious, but who regularly pans for gold in the sewers of this world. And even there, he doesn't find gold, but plain old stink-covered rocks that he washes, polishes, and gilds with grace. Such is Jacob, such is I, such are you. You get it? You see, we read the story of the elder brother because we are the elder brother. We read the story of the elder brother because we have a propensity to be angry with God and bitter with one another and offended what people do to us, feeling in a self-righteous way that we're justified in what we're doing. My dear friends, we need to be rescued from that. And so in this passage of Scripture, you and I are being invited to do something, and I am inviting you to do this. And I'm going to invite you to do this this morning so that you can do it regularly the rest of your life. I want you to find that elder brother in you. And I want you to bring it to God. I want you to flee to Jesus today. Because this is a parable. This, can you imagine what Jesus, Jesus is doing this in front of his religious people, his own people, just like the father is pleading with the older brother in this passage, not because he's condemning them and being self-righteous, because he's calling them away from it. This will never answer. This will never satisfy you. You will not find life here. So you and I need to see what it means to be the elder brother and pray to God that we might be forgiven, set free, and find joy. So I'm calling this the elder brother syndrome. This is what I want you to do. I'm going to walk through. I'm going to say peeling back the layers. This is what I think happens in the parable. Jesus peels back the layers of being an elder brother, and so it starts out on the outside, and you move closer to reality as we go in. And as we do this, pray that God might press in on my heart and your heart what this means. So here's layer one in this parable of the elder brother. Layer one is that the elder brother was a good, faithful, hardworking son. But he was cold, distant, and graceless. He was a good boy. He was a righteous boy. He was doing what he was supposed to be doing. Listen to Luke 15, 25, and 26. Now his older brother was in the field, and that's what I'm going to highlight initially. His older brother was in the field, and he came near and drew to the house, and he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. Now, what I want you to start out with was where was the older brother? He was working. He was out in the field being a good son. Later on in this passage of Scripture, he will say to the father, I have been serving you all these years, and I have obeyed all of your commands. Hear that. So that's a little voice we get in our head when we start to be an elder brother. This isn't the way I thought it would go. I've been serving you. I've been seeking to be obedient to you. But you and I need to stop and say, but did he have a heart for the father? So he's out in the field working hard. I'm just going to ask this question, where should he have been if he was aligned with his father's heart? 
Where should he have been? Pursuing his brother. So as you stop and look at this as one parable, let me remind you, this is one parable. In this parable, there are three stories. And as you listen to the way the stories unfold, Jesus is setting you up so that you could ask a particular question. So in the first parable, there is a man who has 100 sheep, right? Shepherd who has 100 sheep. And one of the sheep goes astray. What does that shepherd do? He leaves the 99 and he pursues the one. And when he finds the one lost shepherd, what does he do? He comes back and says, rejoice with me, right? I have found my, uh, my sheep was lost and now it's found. Parable stage two of this one parable. In the second part, there's a woman who has lost a costly coin. She has 10 coins and she loses one. What does she do? She begins to sweep and turn her house upside down. She finally finds this costly coin. And she, what does she say? Come and rejoice for me, with me. And Jesus says at each of those parables, there is more joy in heaven over what? One sinner who repents than 99 who don't need to repent. Part three of the parable. There was a father who had a son, two sons. One of the sons runs off to a distant country and squanders the father's inheritance on riotous living, a prodigal. He runs off. What are you and I supposed to think after st st uh, story one and story two is of this parable? What are we supposed to be thinking when we come to number three? We're leaning in. In the first story, the shepherd does what? Runs and gets him. Part two, the woman turns the house upside down. Part three, he's in the field. Who's looking for the lost brother? He should have been looking for his brother. Now, I suspect also in this, as I'm thinking about it, is that what has happened here is the frustration over the father giving the inheritance, the frustration over the father's treatment of the younger brother has so affected the elder brother, so affected him that he is not only not going after his younger brother, but he is alienated from his father. It, it takes a while to uh, slaughter the fattened calf. It takes a while to get the party going. He's working late. He's coming in late. I would put it to you, he's probably been doing this for a while. His distance is not just from his brother. His distance is from his father. He comes in. He starts to hear the music. He starts to hear the sound of the rejoicing. This has been going on. He's coming in late at night, and he's, he's not coming in to find out what's going on. He's standing outside going, what in the world now? What's going on in this situation? So let me put this to you. The younger brother ran far from his father physically, but the elder brother has run far from the father relationally. In a sense, they're both a long ways away from home. They're both a long ways away from home. So what is, what is Jesus challenging us with? Jesus, on layer one, is asking the question, have you just become, you're, you're still doing church, you're still doing religion, 
but deep inside, you've gone cold. You've become distant from God. You've um, become bittered, embittered against him. I just want you to pause. That's layer one of what happens. Sometimes in our religion, our religiosity, we get cold and distant from God because we become resentful from the other brother. And we're still going through the motions, but God thinks it's, it's like a thousand miles away. And instead of blaming the church and blaming everybody else, let's just stop and ask the question, what's going on in my heart? Am I really wrestling with what I think is injustice and self-righteousness Paul Tripp puts it this way self-righteous people these are people busy doing the right things but upset are always more upset about the sin of others than their own it takes grace to admit that you're in deep need of grace would you ask God for the grace to deal with that layer one is the elder brother's a good boy but he's not a grace boy his heart is far from the Father. He's grumpy. He's cold. He's distant. Layer number two. Layer number two is in this next section where I want to say he had a slow simmering anger and disdain that's just under the surface. It's just under the surface. Look at Luke fifteen twenty seven. He comes, he hears the music, he says, and he called one of the servants and asked them what these things meant. And he said to him, your father has come, your father has killed the fatted calf because he's received your younger brother safe and sound. And he was angry and refused to go in. Immediately, he is angry. Now, I, I have to think, you know, that Right under the surface, there's been this simmering anger against his younger brother and against his father. Because he just hears, and I can just imagine for the elder brother going, I knew it. I knew both sides of this story. I, know, I knew that he was going to squander it. Everybody knew he was going to squander it. And I knew he would have the audacity to wander back in and think there would be grace for him and kindness from the Father. I, I knew all this. This is last week in Hawaii. Um, big, on the big island of Hawaii, they announced that there's going to be a, possibly a volcano. That uh, main volcano in, on the big island hasn't erupted since 1984 but there's beginning to be earthquakes in the on the peak of the, the volcano, and they've been warning people, this thing could explode at any time. I would suggest to you right now that some of you have already been feeling the rumblings of anger, that God has treated you unjustly and treated someone else, and, and, and the reality is that this brother has been busily busily serving the father but not aching over his lost son because he's been bitter against him and the the sound of his voice just the the just the presence of the brother just just to hear his name just to hear the mention of his name just causes him to erupt Ugh. he wasn't shedding a tear he wasn't losing sleep he wasn't praying incessantly he was working for the father but he was 
angry with his elder bro- or younger brother. I'm going to ask you a question right now. If I mentioned a name to you right now, would you feel that anger? If I brought to mind, if you heard somebody honoring someone that has wounded you, Does the elder brother show up? And we just need to stop and say, God, would I rejoice (laughs) to hear them return? Would I rejoice to know, to hear you honor them? Would I rejoice to hear them singing at a party and, and fetting this reality? Would I be glad that I knew in heaven the angels were rejoicing over one sinner repents? These Pharisees and scribes are seeing tax collectors and sinners being feasting and celebrating and being rejoiced with Jesus and they're going doesn't he know what they've done doesn't he know what they've said doesn't he's doing more harm than good would you rejoice to hear that they've come pleading for mercy to the father there's a story about um, Chuck Colson who was in the Richard Nixon government who was called Nixon's hatchet man um, there's a story about him coming to faith in Christ as he went to prison and one of the men who hated Colson was a senator a Democratic senator from Iowa um, Harold Hughes and Harold Hughes uh, spoke often not complimentary of Chuck Colson and somebody told Hughes that they heard Colson had come to Christ. And when Hughes heard that said, I still don't want to meet him. He didn't trust him. He knew the kind of man he was and what he had done and thought he was one of the worst guys that had ever existed in U.S. history and and, and the program. So one day, uh, the the senator from Iowa is at the uh, National Prayer Breakfast. And he's sitting at the National Prayer Breakfast and they have a prayer time. And as he's sitting there, he hears someone begin to pray, weeping, confessing sin down from him, acknowledging that he needed Christ. And he knew that voice. He actually opened his eyes and looked over. And then the Holy Spirit pierced his heart because he realized that God had actually saved Chuck Colson. And he began to weep. He wept right on the spot as he heard this man pray and began to realize that God could redeem and forgive someone who he thought he never could do it. That's what's being told here. The layer is there's a layer of anger that this brother has against his brother that the naming of him and the the celebrating of him and the rejoicing is an offense. My dear friends, do you have that low-level anger? Who is it that you're still holding on to? That you're not praying for their salvation? You're not willing to rejoice in their salvation? You wouldn't embrace their salvation. That's where your elder brother's going to show up. And that's where we need God's grace in our lives. Let's go one layer deeper, okay? 
Is this okay? Because I'm not the surgeon. I'm just trusting the, <laughs> the surgeon to work on me and to work on you. Layer three is that the elder brother's problem isn't fundamentally with his brother. The elder brother's problem is with his father. He is disappointed and bitter against the father. And, and let's just be honest. That's where we go. That's where it gets really difficult. That's where we go distant from God. Because in our heart of hearts, we're looking and we're going, God, why? Why would you do this? Why, after all this, would you do this? This is unjust and unfair. So listen to the elder brother. It says in verse 15, verse 28, and it is already a dishonor to his father that the father has to come out to him. But the father comes out to him because that's the way the father is. His father came out and entreated him. And he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you. See what self-righteousness does? Self-righteousness always goes back to my works, my righteousness, not to God and his grace. Look, all these years I have served you. I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat. Hear him? That I may celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, just stop. He can't even say my brother. The disdain. This son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes. Just feel that. He's talking to his dad. Your property, your son has devoured this. He said, you haven't done anything, and now you killed the fatted calf for him? What does he feel? He feels absolutely justified in his anger towards the father. I'm going to tell you that's what self-righteousness does. When it doesn't go right, when life doesn't seem fair, who do we get ultimately angry with? God, you didn't give me what I deserve. We just feel justified. But where are we? Where are we in this? We're out there angry, distant, judgmental, miserable, self-righteous. What we realize here is that this elder brother is exactly in sense like the younger brother. The way he talks, the way he's talking here, he's essentially saying like the younger brother said, give me my inheritance. I wish you were dead. Give it to me now. That's what he's saying. I'm so upset. You haven't even given me a goat. He feels like the father has ripped him off. In other words, he wants what the father offers. He doesn't want the father. As if the father, that's what the elder brother's like. Doesn't love the father, doesn't want the father, isn't seeking the father here, isn't seeking after the father's heart. I want, I want you just to stop and ask, whose heart are you after? He's shaming his father He's angry with his father. He's bitter with his father. He's recounting these things against me. You should have. You didn't. You never gave me. A friend of mine, John Reesinger, who's passed away, he's a pastor in Pennsylvania from Texas, an old Navy guy, wore a brush cut and all this, but he's a jovial man. He would stand up and he'd preach, and he'd say, let me ask you this question. If the elder brother actually said to the father, give me a goat, so I can celebrate with my friends. Knowing the heart of the father, what, you, what do you think the answer would have been? Right, the answer would have been, a goat, take the fatted calf. <laughs> I'll get another one in time. You see, the, the, the parable is telling of a father who loves his sons. 
a father who's gracious towards his sons. This son is insulting his father because the father hasn't given him because he doesn't love the father. He's like the younger brother. He loves what the father will give him and he's angry that the father hasn't given it to him and he insults the father. My dear friends, that's the way we are. When we're mad in life because God didn't give us what we thought we needed. So I'm going to stop and ask you three questions. And then I'm going to show you the father. But here are three questions that I want you to ask yourself this morning. Number one, are you still faithful to serving God, but you've lost your joy and you've become distant from the Lord? Have you found yourself angry or frustrated easily when you've encountered certain individuals, even a brother or sister in Christ. Has the seeming unfairness of life caused you to become embittered with the Father? Uh, or I could say it another way, what is, what's eating you? Can I show you the father? He's a good father. He's such a good father. So here's the amazing grace of God. Peeling back the layers. <laughs> Thank God the father is toward the uh, elder brother just like he is towards the younger brother. Here's the great news. So let's, what does the father say? How does he respond? And what are we supposed to understand about this? Look at verse 31. After he has said you're your son, and you've never and kind of raged against the father. It says, and the father said to the elder son, son, you are always with me. And I just, I want to stop and say this. This is the beauty of the grace of God. You can be an angry older brother who has raged against God and, and, and fostered bitterness out in the field for a long period of time. You have gone away from God. You're drifted relationally away from him, but the Father has remained unchanged towards you. I, essentially what he says to the elder brother is, I'm still here. Even though you just insulted me. Even though I had to come outside. Everybody was watching this scene unfold. You publicly shamed me. You said these things with such rage. Everybody knows. But I love you. I'm here. I am with you. Philip Yancey in his book on disappointment with God talks about Job and <laughs> all the wrestling that you get. You ever read Job? You sort of get tired in like four or five chapters because it goes on and on and on, a bitterness and complaining. What's going on there? At least at the, at the very least in the story of Job, what Philip Yancey says is here is a God who is willing to hear the complaints of his people and respond in grace and love. That's how great his grace is. Listen to what Yancey says. I'll read a little extended and you can see part of it. One, one bold message in the book of Job is that you can say anything to God. Throw at him your grief, your anger, your doubt, your bitterness, your betrayal, your disappointment. He can absorb them all. As often as not, spiritual giants of the Bible are shown contending with God. They prefer to go away limping like Jacob rather than to shut God out. 
In res- this respect, the Bible prefigures a tenet of modern psychology. You can't really deny your feelings or make them disappear, so you might as well express them. God can deal with every human response save one. He cannot abide the response I fall back on instinctively and attempt to ignore him or treat him as though he does not exist. That response never once occurred to Job. My dear friends, if you're sitting here today and saying, I've been bitter, that angry person is me. That cold-hearted person is me. I can see that person, and I've been angry, subtly angry, dramatically angry against God all, that, all this time. If that's you, you just need to understand this. That Father will hug you and embrace you if you come to him and pour it out. That's the nature. I am still here. You are with me. Listen to, back to Chad Bird. He says, you might be saying to yourself, yeah, but I've got a felony on my record. Or I've got ruined marriages. Or I have... I am full of self-hatred. I've screwed up everything in my life. Or I've betrayed those closest to me. Or I am filthy with shame on the inside. I am not worthy that God should ever give me a second's worth of thought. To all that, God says, I forgive you. I love you. My heart is yours. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But there's a whole eternity worth of peace, love, and hope. Elder brothers, come home. Bring it to him. That's our father. Aren't you glad that's the nature of the father's love? How do you know that this, isn't, that this is the nature of the father's love? Because he gave his own son to die for us. He withheld nothing for elder brothers and younger brothers. Secondly, the, the father says in the next line, and all that I have is yours. The incredible generosity of the father's resources, even though the son accuses him of being unjustly stingy. You, you and I need to see that God has in his, in his son giving us everything we need. I know you've been bitter. I know you've been angry. I know you don't think that I'm giving you what you deserve, but I'll tell you, there'll be a day when you wake up and you'll realize I am far more generous, far more loving, far more kind, far, far better than you could ever imagine. That day is coming, friends. When he will write all wrongs. You know how the book of the Bible, the story of the Bible ends? How does it end in Revelation? I am making all things new. He'll redeem those wounds. He will. And here is a father who says, everything I have is yours. Everything. We know that because God did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all that we might have everything we need in Jesus Christ. You need forgiveness? Jesus has got it. You need wisdom? Holy Spirit's given to us. He doesn't hold back anything. You need to get through this season of life, this difficulty. You need balm each day for the wounds. I will never leave you. It'll be hard, but I'll be there. This is an engaged father, a generous father, a loving father. This was the father that Martin Luther couldn't find today is reformation sunday and in the reformation martin luther discovered he was the elder brother who kept trying to do it right kept trying to fix it kept trying to live the the proper life and just 
falling and failing and having nightmares and torments as if God was standing condemning over him. And then he heard the righteous shall live by what? Faith. Trust me. By grace alone. In Christ alone. To the glory of God alone. That was the... That was what it, why, what it was pounding to the door at Wittenberg. Listen to Luther. Christ's righteousness is greater than all the, sin, the sins of all men. His life stronger than death. His salvation more invincible than hell. Thus the believing soul by means of its pledge of faith is free in Christ. Its bridegroom, free of all sin, secure against death and hell, and is endowed with eternal righteousness, life, and salvation of Christ, its bridegroom. My dear friends, you are married to Jesus. His ring is on your finger. His robe of righteousness is on you. There is no condemnation for you in Christ Jesus. You have all all you need in me. Isn't that good news? That's the best news an elder brother can ever have. Finally, he says to him, it is fitting to celebrate and be glad. I call this the justification of the father's joy, effusive joy. Why is this partying going on? Why is there such rejoicing? Why are you making a big deal about this bad boy? And the answer is, when sinners come home, we celebrate because that's the kind of father I am and that's the agenda of my mission. And if I don't celebrate for your younger brother, how do you know there'll be any celebration for you, older brother? You see, the greatest news of history is that God sent his son into the world to save Radical, rebellious, self-indulgent sinners and righteous, self-righteous, proud, angry, bitter churchgoers. Jesus is not ashamed to call you his brother. You see, the great news is there's an elder brother. And he loves us. There's an elder brother who came after us. There's an elder brother named Jesus who looks you in the eye and says, I have loved you from the foundation of the world. And while you were rebelling and while you were bitter and while you were angry and all while you are raging, my arms have been outstretched towards you and I love you with an everlasting love. Hear me, I will never leave you or forsake you. You hear that? You can face the elder brother in you by facing the elder brother for you. Run to Jesus. Come home. Rest. Be made new. Is that good news, folks? It's great news. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, dear God, we, we have both of these brothers in us, these two sons. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the true elder brother who came to find us. Thank you that you will never let us go. Help these proud, self-righteous hearts of ours. Father, if there's anybody here today who's just been cold and distant from God for a long time because of wounds, would you kiss them on the forehead today with grace and tell them you love them? If there's somebody who's had just simmering anger, would you wrap your arms of love upon them and say, I'm here for you. And Jesus, would you 
say to this explosive anger that's been simmering in us for a long time against God, would you give us a better view, a better vision, a better day? Come do your work. We need you. In Jesus' name, God's people said, amen. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you were able to seek, savor, and share the all-surpassing worth of Jesus Christ. If you'd like to find out more about our church, submit a prayer request, watch previous sermons, go to www.waterbrook.church. Have a blessed week.